America's confusing policy on Nazis comes into the spotlight, and the generative AI arms race has only just begun. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley, and I know everyone is excited about Joe Biden's State of the Union speech tonight. Probably couldn't sleep last night. Everybody was so excited. Word on the street is that he will be delivering the entire speech through demonic tongue. So, not going to let those Grammys one-up him. Since Joe Biden has become president, America's position on one issue in particular has been a bit confusing for some people, myself included. And that is, what's America's position on the Nazis? Where do we stand on that subject? Do we hate them? And want to round them up because they're a threat to democracy? Or do we love them and want to send them multi-billion dollar weapons packages because they're fighting to protect democracy? Which one is it? That's a question probably not a lot of people are asking because there's compartmentalization going on in their minds and they don't recognize that on the one hand, the Biden administration is condemning and arresting Nazis with the help of undercover FBI informants, while on the other hand, they're giving weapons and funding to the tune of billions of dollars, Nazis in Ukraine, who are actually part of the same group that they're condemning over here. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, because there is a news story today that sheds light on the Biden administration's, you know, sometimes peculiar Nazi policy. Here's the story. U.S. charges neo-Nazi leader in plot to attack power stations. And then the first sentence of the article, which is in bold, unlike any other sentence throughout the rest of the article, and the font appears to be a little bit bigger than the font in the rest of the article. That first sentence says, U.S. authorities announced the arrest Monday of the co-founder of the notorious Adam Waffen neo-Nazi group and a woman he met online in the latest extremist plot to attack public electricity facilities. The article tells us what the agenda that's being pushed is by the end of the first sentence. That agenda being that there are neo-Nazi domestic terrorist extremists working seemingly together to carry out a series of attacks on the power grids across America. And you know what? Yours could be next because This is just the latest of these plots to attack America, by no means the last. They give a sense of this coordination and certainty that these are domestic terrorist threats spreading across our country, threatening our democracy. They roll these stories out from time to time to make sure that this domestic terror threat, which the Biden administration assured us, is the biggest threat our democracy is currently facing, far bigger than international terrorist threats. They need to make sure that's fresh on our minds. That's why we see some of these stories pop up from time to time. They all all have kind of the same pattern, you know. Some idiot surrounded by what ends up being undercover FBI informants is coerced, not, not entrapped, pretty close to entrapped, into saying or doing certain things facilitated by their handler, who they think is their best friend, which the FBI in turn arrests them and claims that they thwarted an attack. That's typically how the stories work. This one's kind of similar. I'll go into that later. But there's some propaganda tricks at the beginning of this article designed specifically to make 
their target audience stop reading after that first sentence. But part of that being that the first sentence is in bold and the font is bigger than the font in the rest of the article, as if to say all of the important information is right here, emphasizing it while de-emphasizing everything else. Don't read any further. You don't need to read any further. I'll tell you why in a minute after we go through the article here. The story continues. The FBI said Brandon Russell, who helped found Adam Waffen in 2015, was arrested in Florida. His accomplice, Sarah Beth Clendeniel, was arrested in Maryland. The two planned to acquire a gun and attack five electrical substations around Baltimore, Maryland, according to the FBI. Now listen to this and see if you can notice the little, the little trick or the little reveal made here in the article that was not revealed earlier on. You can see on screen there, I'll highlight it. The arrest follows a series of attacks on power substations in various parts of the country believed to be by white supremacists aiming to foment unrest. You notice what they did? You notice what's different between that sentence, which is in the towards the mid to lower third of the article, versus how they framed the same thing in the first sentence of the article, the one that was in big, bold letters that they don't want anybody to read past. In that first one, it said, U.S. authorities announced the arrest Monday of the co-founder of the notorious Adam Waffen neo-Nazi group and a woman he met online in the latest extremist plot to attack public electricity facilities. That's an assertion with no hedging whatsoever. That's stated as though it is a fact that's been proven and everybody agrees on. Scroll down to the middle of the article where it's discussing the exact same claims and the tone changes a bit. The arrest follows a series of attacks on power substations believed to be by white supremacists aiming to foment unrest. So it's only believed that these attacks are being carried out by white supremacists. They go on to... Tell us what this list is. Let's see if they provide any evidence here. Here's what it says next. In early January, two men were arrested in the state of Washington after attacks on four power substations on Christmas Day that knocked out power for around 15,500 homes. In early December, 45,000 North Carolina homes and businesses were left without power after someone, someone used a high-powered rifle to damage two electricity substations. On January 17th, another North Carolina power facility was damaged by a gunshot. And then it says, No suspects have been arrested in those cases. No suspects. They don't even know who did it, yet somehow they know or they believe that those who did it are white supremacists attempting to foment unrest. How could you possibly know that if you do not have any suspects and you've made no arrest in these cases? There's literally no evidence to support the claim that is stated in the first sentence of the article, and again here, except as a belief, that is the entire reason that this article is put out. The whole purpose of this article is to convince the reader that there is rising neo-Nazis, racism, white nationalism spreading across America, conducting attacks, domestic terrorist attacks on our power grid, and that we are all in jeopardy. That is what they want to convey. And yet they don't provide an ounce of evidence in this article to actually support it. They simply use a propaganda trick with the headline and the first sentence that they call attention to with the big letters and the bold, they made the letters bold, 
de-emphasizing the whole rest of the entire article because they don't want you to read that far. If they really wanted you to know the truth of it, they would have emphasized in bold and they would have made the font bigger where it says that this is just a belief. But they didn't do that. Instead, they buried that in the statistically proven portion of the article, of every article that is the least read. The people who wrote this article and published it did not want you to, did not want you to continue reading after that first sentence because it conveyed everything they wanted you to know. I mean, these are just sleazy propaganda tricks. This is a strategy of deception. Whoever wrote this article said, I need to bury this information and I need to convey and make this point. Here's how I'm going to do it. Highlight this, bury this. 80-90% will never get past that first sentence. And they will believe the false reality implied. It's disgusting. And it really begs the question in this case, why would anyone other than Klaus Schwab and all his knob gobblers up there that just get off on divide and rule of the planet, why would anyone else want to fabricate the illusion of Nazis rising around America threatening your well-being? I mean, I mean, who wants that to be true? I mean, wouldn't they much rather report, great news, everyone, it appears the Biden administration has miscalculated and there is not actually a racist, domestic, terrorist, neo-Nazi threat in America right now. That's not actually something threatening our democracy. And, whoo, thank goodness. Isn't that something that they would rather report? Like, like what is it about these people? Are they just so ideologically driven driven or, or, or tribally driven that it's more satisfying to them to bend over backwards using propaganda to try and make people believe that their guy, that what he says, his narrative is true, even if that narrative is just awful? Like It's like they want Nazis. It's like they're disappointed that Nazis aren't marching up and down the street because they don't have that easy confirmation of Biden's domestic, countering domestic terrorism strategy agenda. So they have to use propaganda to lie to people and tell them, hey, you better be afraid Nazis are coming. I mean, what, what an awful reality to convey. I mean, I know they're propagandists, but I mean, geez, come on, man. Come on, man. All right, I want to give you a description of how the Washington Post describes this guy and this group. And then I'm going to tell you the most extraordinary part of the story that I've heard nobody talk about that is just so fantastic. I think you're going to love it. First, here's what the Washington Post says. Russell, a former Florida National Guard member, is the founder of the neo-Nazi group Adam Wafen, which attempted to use violent attacks to spark a race war in the United States. There's an assertion that they make with zero evidence. You can go to the Wikipedia page. There's no mention of them ever attempting to start a race war in the U.S. It goes on to say, Experts say the group, while small, is dangerous because of its influence on the broader far-right movement to askew politics and spill blood. Okay, here's the best part of this story, and I love this. If we didn't live in this post-ironic society where all news seems like trolling and comedy and all comedy seems like trolling and news, they're just indistinguishable from each other, this would be comedy gold. But we just can't tell right now. Right now in society, in fact, the only thing that we know for certain that is not someone trolling, that is not in any way, comedy, is The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Okay, here's the best part. This domestic terror group, the Adam Waifen group, 
We're told that groups like this are the biggest threat facing our democracy right now. They're anti-democratic. They're evil. They must be stopped. That's what the Biden administration tells us. Well, they're not just in America. They're international, and, and they actually have allies around the world. In fact, you can see a list of those allies right there on their Wikipedia page. One of those allies being, here's their Wikipedia page for those of you watching, and one of those allies being none other than the Biden administration's favorite Nazis, Ukraine's Azov Battalion, the swastika-tattooed Nazi backbone of the Ukraine army, who the Biden administration has not only made rich and powerful with, what, like over $100 billion worth of weapons packages at this point, they've also worshipped and praised them internationally as the heroes who are standing up and fighting for democracy, for democracies worldwide. Biden's Nazis for democracy. Now, the Nazis over here who are allies with them, they're anti-democratic and they want to destroy democracy. Well, we must stop them and use undercover informants to do all but entrap them, of course, even though they're one and the same with this group. In fact, I'll show you, they're more than just allies here. They seem to be a bit closer than that, actually. And this is me, I'm summarizing from stuff that's on the Wikipedia page. You can verify it all there. This isn't even deep research. This is all stuff that's easily available. I mean, deep research, there's no telling the connections you would find with this group and others. But Adam Waffen, Waffen is an international group, as I mentioned, and it has a European division called the Adam Waffen Division in Europe. The Adam Waffen Division Europe. Very creative name. And this is a subgroup for its members located in Ukraine. So there is a Ukrainian-specific Adam Waffen group. Also, in 2021, members of the Adam Waffen group Europe, the one specifically for Ukraine, attended Azov training camps in Ukraine, and at the same time, they acquired Uzi submachine guns. So they train together, they trade weapons together. Who knows what weapons are being traded now that we've sent them so many more to, to trade. In fact... There's some crossover in group membership as well, which on the Wikipedia page, you can see here that the Adam Waffen's Estonia group was formed by, among other people, those who had previously served in the Azov Battalion. So these people who are members of both of these groups must be very confusing for the Biden administration. I mean, are they domestic terrorists who we must stop at all cost or are they Biden's beloved Nazis for democracy? These are democracy's Nazis. And anyone who doesn't stand in solidarity with them is, well, a Nazi. The bad kind. You're a Nazi if you don't stand in solidarity with the Nazis. You can see why this policy that the United States has taken towards Nazis can be a bit confusing. Let me give you just a little bit more to illustrate that our government is well aware of their own BS, because they've admitted to the connections between these two allied Nazi groups and congressional hearings as recently as 2019 during a hearing on global terrorism and threats uh, to homeland security. During this hearing, a guy named Ali H. Sofa, I don't think it's Sofa, it's S-O-U-F-A, testified, he testified, this guy testifies frequently at hearings like this regarding terrorism because he's a former FBI agent and counter- terrorism specialist, as well as a former member of the Homeland Security Advisory Council, and he is said to be the one man who almost stopped 9-11, which is obviously a bunch of BS, 
had he stopped 9-11, they probably would have killed him for it. What a crock way to describe this guy, but this is how they describe him. And judging by this dude's Twitter, he is all on board with funding Biden's Nazis for Democracy, who are leading this fight for democracies. So let's listen to what he said. Or I, I don't have a clip. I'm just going to tell you what he said. Back in 2019, during this congressional hearing, he said, In Ukraine, the Azov Battalion has actively recruited foreign fighters motivated by white supremacy and neo-Nazi beliefs including many from the West, to join its ranks and receive training, indoctrination, and instruction in irregular warfare. The, the group has cultivated a relationship with members of the Adamwaffen Division. The Azov Battalion also maintains a political wing offering ideological education and ties to a growing vigilant street movement which can be counted on for violence, intimidation, and coercion. These guys can really be counted on. And they can still be counted on for that. Then the dude goes on to talk about how the Nazis are using Ukraine as a battlefield test laboratory. Kind of like it seems we are. So look, I, I don't know how the Biden administration can square the fact that Nazis in America, who are part of the same group as the Nazis in Ukraine that we give billions of dollars to and praise as being on the front lines fighting for democracy, However, here, all of a sudden, Biden is saying that they're domestic terrorists trying to destroy democracy. It just doesn't make sense, okay? I get it, you get it, but there's still a bunch of people with Ukraine flags in their Twitter profile. Most of them bots, probably a few of them, still just so brain, and I don't want to say brain dead, but just like shorted out that they need some sort of like waking up, man. They need like a night on the town. Or, or they need they need to get away from uh, their brain poisoning devices or whatever it is because that is unhealthy. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm still not even done with that story, but I'm not going to talk about it anymore here on the DMB. The other part of that story, which I'm going to talk about in the DMB XR, is pretty interesting because, as you guys know, many of these stories where the FBI thwarts these attacks often involve a lot of undercover informants who, from an objective you know, view, seem to be the ones who just did the whole thing, except for a couple of steps, and then once they push those people to take those couple of steps, those people oftentimes being the dumbest people on the planet, they then turned around and arrested them. And I read the actual court document, the criminal complaint about this case, and again, we have an undercover informant who is the most used person in the story. And on top of that, I pulled the document that actually lays out what the rules are surrounding how the FBI is able to use these confidential human sources and the crimes that they are able to authorize them to do. So I'm going to go through that in the XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, which you can get access to by going to patreon.com slash propaganda report. But for now, I want to move on to the next story that I want to talk about today, which is this Generative AI arms race that has emerged, rapidly emerged, actually. I mean, this went from zero to a thousand, just like that. It's escalating quickly. The story goes, as they tell it anyway, all of these companies and universities and whoever else, they already had generative AI technology that could do at least as much as open AI's chat GPT, if not far more than what it could do 
but the public first experienced OpenAI's ChatGPT because these other companies either hadn't released theirs yet or the version that they did release was just very limited and restrictive and couldn't do all that much. It was boring. And the reason for this is because they were all being very responsible because they were concerned about the negative effect their technology could have on society if they just irresponsibly threw it out there and allowed it to run wild. And so they took a cautious approach with a mind towards the negative ways their innovations could potentially impact the world. That is until OpenAI's chat GPT came along and without concern for the well-being of humanity, they did what those other companies were too cowardly to do. They threw caution to the wind and unleashed their generative AI with fewer restrictions than anyone has ever seen in a generative AI before. People's minds were blown. And the result was that ChatGPT reached 100 million active users in just two months, which was faster than any other application has reached that amount of users in history, including TikTok, who took a whole nine months to hit that mark. Anyway, despite this rapid success of ChatGPT, these other big companies that already had theirs ready, like Google, Baidu, and other companies, they have stuck to their principles and they have refused to give in to that temptation presented to them by the success of ChatGPT, affirming their commitment to the broader stakeholders in society that are affected. Actually, none of that's true. What actually happened was upon seeing the wild success of ChatGPT, Google and other companies threw out their principles and their concerns for society's well-being faster than Joe Biden threw a young hunter out of the bathtub during what Hunter was well aware was daddy-daughter only shower time. Which brings me to today's update in the generative AI arms race. And that is that Google, previously cautious Google, no longer burdened by an artificial responsibility that they want to pretend they have to society, is now focused on what's important. Winning, and they are already ready after putting in a red alert once they saw ChatGPT success. They're ready to roll out their new controversial AI called Bard. Don't like that. It just switches the A and the R in my name, and I don't like it at all. But they're ready to roll it out to testers now, and they're planning a broader public launch in the coming weeks. What Bard does is it generates textual responses to questions posed by users based on information drawn from the web, just like chat GTP does, except, and this is the this is the part that I love. Google's Bard service is based on its, its experimental AI program called, and you might recognize this, LAMDA, which stands for Language Model for Dialogue Applications. This is a program that Months ago, a former Google engineer famously went viral by publicly stating that he believes that LAMDA had become sentient. Th these are claims that Google suspended him over. I think he ended up going on the Joe Rogan show 1.2 to talk about it. Yeah, I just find stuff like that very, very interesting. But more on that in a minute. Okay, so most of us had never heard of a generative AI like until a month ago. We have played with chatbots like Alexa or Siri, or I remember back in the day, you could get on AOL Instant Chat and you could talk to Santa Claus. And I would just say the crudest things to him because that's what we do when we talk to these things. We insult them and we say vulgar things to them and we ask them if they're feminist. And we try to expose how biased and woke they are, which Siri and Alexa, they, they never disappoint. They are always feminist. They're always woke. And they always respond in fun ways to questions about whether or not 
AI is going to take over humanity and kill us all. So we've all played with that stuff. But no one, I don't know anybody on the planet who has been so enthralled with that type of technology that they've been obsessing over when the next iteration, when it was going to come out. I know people who have obsessed about when GTA 6 is going to finally come out on PlayStation. But I don't know anybody who's just been like scouring the internet going, when are we going to get this next AI uh, chatbot? I can't wait. Nobody. Yet, it was still thrust upon us. I mean, just, we were ambushed. It was hyped up in the media. It was hyped up in news reports. Now the competition of it's being hyped up. The number of users has been hyped up. The subscription's been hyped up. The technology's been hyped up. What it can, what it can't do. The dangers. It's all being hyped up right now. And all of this has happened in a matter of weeks. And amongst all of this hype, one thing is clear to me, and that is that they are aggressively attempting to integrate this generative AI technology into society at every web-connected level, everywhere around the world, and they want it implemented fast. Because this stuff is, nobody was demanding this stuff. Consumers weren't craving this. This was thrust on us, and now they're going to try and get people reliant on it for certain things and tasks to where they need it just like we need our iPhone. So it took the iPhone, it took us a while to become addicted to our iPhones and basically become cyborgs with them in our hands all the time. We've been assimilated with our iPhones. It's like they're trying to assimilate us with this, but at this rapidly expedited level. The first iPhone didn't come out until June 29th of 2007. I mean, I mean that's crazy to me because that doesn't seem like that long ago. It's 16 years, but like the world before 2007 and after 2007, it's, it is so different. I mean, that was a 16-year transformation of the entire planet with that piece of technology. And they're trying to do, I think, a similar transformation in a different way. This obviously isn't a phone, but... They're trying to see how fast they can do these things. I think that's part of all of these experimentations. Was uh, what Zuckerberg used to say? We're gonna we're gonna rapidly test. We're gonna break things, and then we're gonna do another iteration. I think that's what's going on. It's also funny to me because this Chat GPT rave is like the other shoe dropping on that story I mentioned a few minutes ago about the guy claiming that Google's. AI had become sentient. I mean, you remember when that story came out. It was like, whoa, crazy. And we're shown these stories for a reason. And you look at a story like that and we speculate about it, but it wasn't 100% clear. Now, it seems pretty clear what was going on there. The story, I think, was foreshadowing, maybe even warning us about a reality that we would very soon confront. And that reality is here. It's a reality where the technology might not be sentient in the sense that we think of what sentience is, but it could very well be sentient enough to do jobs that humans never imagined could be done by anyone or anything other than humans. And there's no telling where this is going to go, really. These companies are, 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 when you think about it, they're competing to create technology that is the most believable chatbot in the world that, that's indistinguishable from other human interaction. I mean, there's other goals they have, but that's one of them. And the company that just entered this arm race, they entered it with a technology that before it was even made public was declared to be sentient by one of the company's former executives. 
I mean, it's definitely all some sort of psyop, but but what a hell of a preemptive marketing job that could turn out to be for Google. I mean, maybe maybe that's what they were doing all along with this guy. I would just play clips of things he said about that technology being sentient, or I'd show his tweets about it, and I would put music underneath it, because if people have experimented with chat GPT, and now they're saying, whoa, Google's, that's the one where the crazy guy said it was sentient. Now I got to try that. There's going to be, they might even beat the active user's record that was just broken. They might even break that record immediately. We'll see. And finally, the last thing that I want to talk about today is the CIA's hiring process. There were these advertisements that popped up into my Twitter feed. Not not Twitter. I can't remember what they were. I, I don't know what it was, but it was just like, check out the new CIA hiring portal and what's different. And what I always thought was interesting to look at on their websites and like the FBI was the things that you couldn't do. Like, you know, it used to be, I think a long time ago, it was like, well, at least people thought, well, you could never have done drugs in your life to ever be in any of these groups, which thinking back on it, that certainly couldn't have been true. But that's definitely not true now. But I looked at their website and there was a, a tab that, that I thought was interesting. It was, you can see it on screen here. It says, this is on their, their new hiring page that was being advertised. It says, security concerns and potential disqualifiers. We understand that no one is perfect. For this reason, we assess each candidate as a whole rather than based on a single mistake. A single mistake. Give me a break. A single mistake or issue from the past. What about all their mistakes and issues from the past? Can we judge them based on those or their current problems? And then it says, to increase transparency, here are some common reasons for disqualification. Lack of candor, that's the number one. Not only does honesty build trust, it also helps move the hiring process along faster. Illegal use of drugs, misuse, that's like two weeks. You shouldn't have smoked weed within two weeks or something like that, I think it is. Let's see. Although some states legalize marijuana, it remains legal under federal law. Those who are invited to apply must not have used marijuana products containing THC, THC within 90 days prior to submitting an application. Okay, 90 days. A prospective officer should not have used any other illegal drugs or misused a prescription drug within 12 months prior to submitting an application. And they probably do lie detector tests on all of these because they, they force you to do a lie detector test. Criminal or unethical behavior. Recent involvement in criminal or unethical behavior can disqualify you from getting a clearance. This includes pending criminal charges, felony convictions, and a dishonorable discharge. Sorry, Hunter Biden. In addition, crimes like illegal, illegal downloading of copyrighted material can also be an issue. So I'm guessing they just polygraph all this stuff. Because how could they know any of this? Some, I mean, so the criminal stuff they can know, but some of it's like, how you gonna know somebody downloaded illegally copyrighted material recently? I mean, I guess they could hack their computer. Thank you for coming to the interview. I'm going to go ahead and pull up the contents of your laptop on my desktop here. Okay, lack of responsiveness. Throughout this process, we expect quick responses and for you to keep your appointments with us as best you can. If there's anything happening in your life that might interfere with your responsiveness, we recommend waiting to submit your resume until you are ready. What is this, a, a girlfriend? We have to drop everything for the CIA all the time? This is the one that I found the most interesting. This is a disqualifier. Association with our social media. For your security, if you are interested in or have submitted your resume via my link, do not follow us on social media. 
This includes posting content, following or friending accounts, and liking or sharing content or commentary. What a strange thing. Don't apply if you have any association or have ever interacted with our Twitter account. The CIA's Twitter account is stupid. It's hokey. They try to be funny. I, I think maybe they're kind of like, look, if you're the type of person who's going to interact with our dumbed-down, idiotic CIA Twitter account, then just go get bent and, and get out of here. We'll save you when we need a patsy, okay, pal? That's, that's what we use our Twitter account for, is to draw in all the future patsies of people who think it's a fun account. It's just a strange thing. Like, how would they know? Uh, again, I guess they just polygraph all this. Like, the CIA doesn't want people liking their tweets or sharing their content. They created social media accounts just to disqualify people from coming into their ranks. You know what I don't see on there? I don't see anywhere on that disqualifier list living as a human, furry, life-sized dog in your free time. If you leave work at the CIA, go home, put on a life-sized life -size dog outfit, get on all fours, eat your dinner out of a big giant bowl, and have your neighbor walk you down the street with a collar and leash, that doesn't disqualify you. In fact, at this point in time, if we judge it by the way the White House does hiring, then it probably is at the top of your resume as a feature instead of a bug. Why should we hire you? Because I live my life as a dog. I get on all fours and my neighbors beats me and then feeds me dog kibble. You're hired. Get in here, good boy. You're a good boy. You're a good boy. Welcome to the CIA. Okay, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.